everything that the books and the marketing companies say about, you know, you have to just offer one thing and get really good at one thing. The trouble is, if you're just a PPC agency, every client that comes in, you've got to say, you need PPC because you don't have anything else to offer. Whereas because we're completely channel agnostic, we don't care whether it's PPC or SEO or LinkedIn, we're just going to recommend you what you actually need. Welcome to Yaro's podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind world-class performers, business builders, and enlightened leaders. Hi, this is Yaro, and thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I have a guest with me who I recently got in touch with on another podcast, and we decided to do a bit of a, an exchange and uh, interview each other, and I'm really happy to do it because my guest today has an interesting and, and getting more interesting backstory the more I speak to him. <laughs> so I'd like to welcome Tim Cameron Kitchen to the show. Hello, Tim. Hey, Yaro, how's it going? I'm good. So I was just asking you before what claim to fame I should introduce you with, and, and I was going with the obvious of the as the founder of Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency with over 100 employees in the UK, and you're very good in the world of SEO as well because of your own media background. But then you dropped something that is far better as a claim to fame. So what what, what is that? <laughs> Well, just quickly before that, our Explosion Ninja's team is not just UK. We have a team all around the world. We're completely remote. But um, anyway, the claim to fame. So before I was a digital marketer, I was a drummer and um, still playing a few weddings here and there with my band. But we were once on a kind of French version of X Factor for covers bands. And uh, they found one of our videos online and flew us over to France and we performed. We did had no idea what was going on because none of us speak, spoke French. And they at the end of the show, they kind of ushered us onto the stage and we were like, what's going on? Have we been voted off? We don't really know. They lifted the curtain and everyone was cheering and clapping. And uh, it turns out that a million French people had voted us as the world's best cover band. <laughs> it took us a while to figure out <laughs> what exactly was happening. But so why on earth was, are you uh, still in digital marketing when you clearly had a career path in uh, <laughs> cover music? Oh <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure we'll come on to it later on. We're playing someone else's songs for my whole life. It's just. Uh, so no, it's not the thing I want to be remembered Fair by, enough. let's put it that way. <laughs> that is definitely the most unique claim to fame I've had on the podcast. So, I'm glad. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially because in French, that's so, what an interesting experience. So that is connected to your early days, though, and I think this actually does lead quite in nicely to your digital marketing world, too. But before I even go down that path, let me just clarify. Born and raised in the UK, right? Yes, that's correct, yep. Whereabouts? Uh, in Ascot, which is most people know as the Queen lives in Windsor, and Ascot is just next door. Okay. Um, so you, you yeah, do, no connection to her though. Well, you do have the nice accent. So, um, <laughs> growing up, did you have an entrepreneurial side of you ever? I don't think so, really. It started to come out of me when I was at university. I went to university to study music, and there was a guy I met, and I got in a band with him and his dad ran a, a sales training company. 
And we used to go to his house for band practice, this massive house, you know, great rehearsal space in the garden. And I looked around and thought, yeah, this is pretty sweet. You know, this is um, a different level of living to what I'd been used to at the time and where my goals were set. So the more time I spent with this guy, the more kind of influential he became. And he introduced me to self-improvement and the concept of, you know, running even the band, running it as a business and all that type of stuff. And I think that was really formative. So that's when the entrepreneurial, I don't know, I don't know if anybody has entrepreneurism, entre, I don't know what, I don't know if anybody has that inbuilt or if it's something that kind of has to be triggered. I'm, I'm not too sure. I don't really have any fundamental beliefs on it either way, but that was certainly the first time that I started thinking a bit differently. Prior to that, what was the expected career path? I wanted to be a musician, but not really for the financial aspects. And my goals were set very low, you know, make a living playing music. That was my, that, you know, that was the, the kind of level I was thinking at. Okay. So yeah, until I met that guy who's also called Tim, that's kind of where my head was at. How did it go? Did you, like when you graduate from university, you just try and get gigs and you had a band, I assume. We haven't even mentioned yeah. you're a drummer, right? So I'm a drummer, yeah. So yeah. I, I didn't like leaving the house. Uh, not too dissimilar for now, where I work from home from a home office. I didn't like leaving the house as a, a musician. The trouble with that is that all music happens outside your house. But I was so determined in my my hermit life that I developed something called online session drumming where I'd record for people over the internet. So these bands would send me their songs and I would record drums and and send them back. And I did that for probably, I don't know, three or four years professionally. So that was earning me the money. And then I'd play in my bands in the spare time. And that was all fine. But eventually I realized that I wasn't playing my own music. I wasn't really doing anything for myself. And I had a a moment of realization when I thought, you know what, the amount that I'm putting into this, if I was putting that amount of effort into investment banking, my car would look very different to what it is now. Um, the thing I was driving was an absolute abhorrence. It had all these different multicolored panels because I didn't have the money to fix it properly. So I go to the scrap heap and pull off pieces and stick them on my car so that I could get it through its MOT, which is like a kind of annual test that cars need to go through to check that they're roadworthy. And then one day I got pulled over by a policeman on the way to the rehearsal studio and and I said why have you why have you pulled me over I was late so I was already like ah oh, this is really annoying and he said a car like this attracts a certain amount of attention and for me that was a real turning point in my life I was like well, what do you mean and look at it it's it's a piece of crap and he was like yeah you know a car like this will pull them over just to check that there's nothing dodgy going on and I thought wow how have I got to the stage where I'm working 50 plus hours a week giving absolutely everything I can and I'm being pulled over because my car is so bad so um I had a bit of a word with myself and went back to my rehearsal studio and did some recording and got home and decided do you know what? The way I'm going to get out of this is I'm going to do even more of what I've already been doing. So I decided <laughs> I was going to work more hours. I was going to go to like 60, 70 hours a week and tried that for a bit. It really wasn't going anywhere. And then one day I was talking to my next door neighbor who was, or I, sh- I say my next door neighbor, my parents' next door neighbor, because I'd actually had to move back home with my parents because the, the uh, music wasn't paying very well. And I got talking to him. How old were you him. then, just, just to clarify? To I was... 
like seven years ago. So I was like 24, 26 maybe. Okay. I got talking to him. He was a plasterer. So, you know, like home improvement type thing. And he was always around the house and the house kind of had a bit of a smell of weed about it. So I was like, Ben, what's going on? Why are you not working? Why are you not out there? And he said, I just don't have any jobs. And my entire life, like all my drumming and everything had been promoted online because I didn't want to leave the house. So basically what my day-to-day activity was doing was digital marketing, but for my own fundamentally unsuccessful business. (laughs) So I said to Ben, well, do you not have a website? And he said, no, don't have a website. Someone tried to sell me a website, but, you know, they ripped me off and I don't have a website. So I was like, well, okay, give me a day. I'm going to see if I can put something together for you and just see what happens. I know you're a plasterer and I'm a drummer, but let's just give it a go. So later that day, I sat down in front of the computer, completely blank screen and thought, what the fuck have I just, what have I just got myself into? I don't know anything about plasterers, but I put together a basic WordPress website for Ben and uh, didn't really think much of it, to be honest. I set up a basic Google ad campaign and did a few bits of SEO, just registering in some directories and stuff. And didn't, like I say, didn't really think too much of it. I actually moved away. And about five months later, I got a call from Ben saying that website has completely changed my life. And had a look, it was top of Google. He'd become one of the, the, there's a testimonial video on YouTube, actually, if you, you can search for it, but he'd become one of the top plasterers in the town. The people that he had to go out to work for previously were now coming to him for work. He had all these giant commercial contracts and all this stuff. And the effect that that website had on Ben's life, I thought, right, I cannot justify doing drumming anymore. If one basic WordPress website can do for this guy, what that, you know, that thing that's mm. happened. What, There's uh, no way I can do What this. was the secret sauce with that website to get so much leads for him? Extremely uncompetitive area. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, the site was basic. It's still up there. Now it's I think it's like tivertonplastering.com. Really simple site, hardly any content. But because at that time, no other plasters are online and that area was so, you know, it's very, it's quite rural, small mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm but there's enough market that he could actually get some business from it. So yeah, it was like a perfect storm of, of stuff really, but it needed to be because I put in hardly any effort. It was literally like three hours work, <laughs> if that. <laughs> okay, so that opened your eyes to the possibility of, of basically starting a business and in, in creating websites? Yeah, that was it. So once I'd built that, he started to tell other tradesmen. So I ended up building a whole bunch of tradesmen websites and building a a small tradesman business. I was basically freelance, but I had a few people kind of helping me out doing the building and, and running some of the ads. And I built little systems in place that meant we could build like four of these sites a day. So I started getting some coverage in tradesman magazines like plumbing and building and that type of stuff. Built a whole bunch of these tradesman websites. And and then I started to kind of branch out into into other areas because the tradesmen, the trouble with the tradesmen is they're all really skeptical about the internet. So at the time I was selling them little tiny contracts, which would be £100 a month, so like $130 a month. That would include Google Ads, SEO, and even the Google Ad budget. I'd even put in budget for them. Or I was using a whole bunch of hacked Google Ads vouchers at the time anyway, but that's another story. (laughs) So yeah, I started branching out into other businesses and doing some more uh, stuff for larger companies and wrote a book about it all, which was called How to Get to the Top of Google. And that book went on to become a bestseller. And the leads generated by that book meant that I 
had to start an agency which has Explosion Ninja, and here we are. So, okay, good interview. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's kind of funny. You, you had a book end up bringing you all your business uh, rather mm. than, say, your yeah. own website. Yet you're very good at getting business for all these other trades people using a website. You know, it's kind of ironic that the book. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, we didn't do any SEO on the Exposure Ninja website until like 2015, 2016. Seriously, we've, we've got loads of business because of digital marketing, but not because of our own. Like the book is just case studies and mm. stories of the clients that we've worked on. But really, until, until I'd say this year, the majority of our leads are coming from digital rather than books. But mm. yeah, I mean, <laughs> that book has been an incredible source of leads and it has nothing to do with uh, you know PPC we didn't do any advertising for it or anything it just, just sat there on bestseller rankings on Amazon well what's the key to that like is it a case of a, a local book again targeting a local market or you know what's the secret I honestly don't know I mean there's a few things that we did to get the book some coverage so it's a good book. Well, it's a, it's a really good book. It is now. It was terrible in, in the first version. One thing that we did was we tested different covers. So the first cover I made myself, because I thought, yeah, I can make book covers. Um, and I thought it looked great, but no one bought the book. As soon as we had a professionally designed cover, it started to sell more. So that was one thing that made a difference. Another thing was, back when I wrote the book, every SEO book on Amazon was all about SEO and it was called SEO. Mm. But my target audience at that time didn't know what SEO was. So I didn't call it SEO. I called it how to get to the top of Google, which is kind of the basics of keyword research, right? Mm. Just call it what your audience is looking for. So that helped. And then got loads of positive reviews as well, which I think also probably helped. But really the key with Amazon sales in my experience is if you can get in the right categories and you can make the book a bestseller, as long as it's good enough to sustain that, then you don't really have to do too much promo. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of sits there generating sales the whole time. So take us forward then. So you, it's funny, it's like your, your drumming musician career almost just faded away in that two minutes of storytelling you did there. With yeah, two, man. <laughs> is that, is that Pretty accurate? much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as I was playing drums until, I was playing drums like every weekend for the, for the band until 2014. But as soon as, as soon as I saw any traction with the digital marketing, the online session drumming just, well, the other thing that happened is the, the other part of the reason that the online session drumming died was that I made a DVD course and sold it to drummers showing them how to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the best drummer in the world. So all of these other drummers immediately flooded into the market. And there was one point where you type online session drummer and the first two pages of results were all my students. So I basically sold this course, which was great and got me some cash to move out, but it completely ruined the market for me. And then the digital marketing thing took off. So I was like, right, cool, let's go and do that instead. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Um, you're in a very competitive space. Like, I would never, ever think about getting into we build websites that rank on Google as a business model right now. Yeah. Like, you know, because that yeah. is like about as generic a topic of internet <laughs> marketing out there. So, yeah. beyond saying you had a book that kickstarted everything, and I think obviously we, you have to give credit to the fact that you 
did all this work for these tradespeople because without the great case studies and the stories with no doubt some interesting characters, whatever, plumbers, mm. plasterers, electricians, in a book about internet marketing, which then that's, I'm assuming, what also really helps you know, get the book out there, then that's generating leads for you. But it's still like this space where you've got so many options to choose from. You know, why do you think people, you know, even back in the earlier days, chose to work with you? That's a really good question. The answer for most of the industry is because they would specialize in one particular niche or niche, as the the Americans call it. But we've always protested a lot at being niched because where I see it is we're going to be the world's biggest digital agency for SMEs. And you don't get there by only working with tradesmen or only working with solicitors or only getting there with dentists. So we've never focused on one specific market. And we've always focused on offering as wide a digital marketing offering as we possibly can. The other thing that people do is say, well, we're just an SEO company because we just want to get really good at SEO. The, The challenge I set to our managers is, You've got it like SEO manager. You've got to imagine that you're running a dedicated boutique SEO agency. PPC, you need to work on building the best PPC agency for, for SMEs ever. That kind of breadth of offering means that when a client comes to us for one thing, we're able to do a whole bunch of other stuff for them as well. Mm. And actually, everything that the books and the marketing companies say about, you know, you have to just offer one thing and get really good at one thing. The trouble is, if you're just a PPC agency, every client that comes in, you've got to say, you need PPC because you don't have anything else to offer. Mm -hmm. Whereas because we're completely channel agnostic, we don't care whether it's PPC or SEO or LinkedIn, we're just going to recommend you what you actually need. So I think that has really helped us. It's helped us to get results, but it's also helped us because we can say to clients, completely honestly if they're focusing on seo we'll say look just maybe this isn't working for you or you could get some quicker wins over here with something else or you know vice versa so i think that level of honesty has has really helped Mm. undoubtedly the kind of personality of the business also helps we've never wanted to be generic we've always wanted to stand out we have these little cartoon ninjas everywhere since I set up the company, people have been saying, Exposure Ninja, you've got to change the name. It doesn't sound professional. It doesn't <laughs> look professional. Like these little cartoon ninjas, they just don't look professional. And by professional, everyone means boring. Mm. And I realized that all of the people that were telling us this stuff, all of them were like one or two person companies or they'd never run a business before. So I was like, well, screw you guys. We're going to be as different as we possibly can. We're going to be friendly. We're going to put ourselves out there. We're going to have the cartoon ninjas because they're they're disarming. A lot of our potential clients have had really bad experiences with digital marketing before. And if we just look like another one of those agencies, we're all tarred with the same brush. So we have these, you know, we're, we're just completely different. So I think that's been a big thing. I'm really curious about the structure you put in place with the managers, as you said. Maybe mm. we can go back a little bit to your story when you know Exposure Ninja is starting to really take off and you're, you know, the book is out there, you're getting a lot of customers. Now you have to learn how to grow an agency. So can you take us through what you went through at that point? Yeah, carnage. It was absolute carnage. <laughs> I am uh, not the most organized and, and when you're running a company, you need a kind of big picture view. It's really difficult to keep that many plates spinning. So how did it start growing? Well, we had a whole bunch of different 
failed experiments along the way. One of them was when we were, it was probably 2014 and we'd been going, I think we started the end of 2012. So we've been going about a year and a half and people started saying to us, look, it's time you go legit. You need an office. So I said, right, okay, cool. We need an office. We need an office. Got it. So found an office space, moved halfway across the country to be right in the middle so that all of these clients could come and visit us because that's what we thought would happen if you had an office. So we got this office space. We put our people at that time in the office, the ones that were in the UK. And then, but we still had all these empty chairs. So we just started filling the empty chairs with, you know, more people because more people is good. And that's what you should do if you have an office. And it got to the stage in October of that year. So we'd only been there probably five months when our productivity had slowed so badly, our sales had declined so much, and we had all this extra overhead of these people that we'd never have hired if we were just hiring purely on merit, if we didn't have tables to fill. And it got to the point where I had to fire a lot of people in one day, shut the office, send everyone home. And that was a really interesting learning experience. I had to fire people that have been with me since the very early days of the business and people I'd become quite close with. Mm. And it was quite really tough time. But the thing I learned from that was that being remote and doing things our way actually just suits us. Like we're we're probably always going to be remote. Mm -hmm. So as we kind of rebuilt from that, I was really conscious that we'd have heads of each of the different departments. So we had a an SEO manager, which was kind of originally me, I guess. And then as we had people in the team who looked like they were kind of coming to the fore, then that person in, in charge of the whole team. And yeah, I mean, it happened quite quickly for some of them. I, I remember our, one of the first content writers that we hired it was a girl called Charlie. And, and as soon as I heard, her, I was like, geez, she switched on. She's, <laughs> she's so much, yeah, she's so much brighter than, than the average person. So quite quickly gave her as much responsibility as possible, which is a kind of common thread amongst me. If I think you're good, then I'll just give you as much responsibility as possible until you scream stop and put Charlie in, in charge of the content marketing department after about, I don't know, six weeks or something. And then within, uh, yeah, within a few years, she was general manager. Mm. How were you actually, hiring? How were we hiring? Yeah, like where were you sourcing? And was it back in those days? It was mostly on Upwork mm. um, or Odesk, as it was. So everyone in Exposure Engine now was remote. We hire on UK job sites and remote sites like Upwork and the Hubstaff hiring site thing as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she became a, a general manager, and I assume other people within your team showed initiative, and uh, over time became like like you said the PPC manager or the content yeah. marketing manager etc cetera, etc cetera. how do you balance cuz i you know i've actually interviewed a number of agency owners and i'm you know co-founder of one myself right now there's a real challenge with the you know cash flow of the client jobs you're doing and it's you're doing a service based business now i'm sure you productized yeah. it on some level but even so there's always that issue with you know the profit margin and in fact the two people i've interviewed uh, just recently who run agencies uh, both in australia they're also in that or have been in that internet marketing digital media ppc content marketing that sort of space and Every time I talk to someone like yourself, there is this real challenge with how do I have a profit margin? How do I hire more people? 
at the same time as market to keep the new leads coming in. Usually the Tim, the founder in your case, gets <laughs> like really almost burnt out because they're trying to hire and manage and market the business. Eventually things can maybe settle down when you've got enough good people in play. But then one leaves your company and you're right back to where you were again with you know, that balance. Have you gone through all that? Like, or you don't seem that stressed right now, Tim. So what's the, what's the secret? No, I've never, I don't think I'm, I'm like a stressed person generally. Okay. But there are certainly, there are times when you need to focus on marketing. There are times when you need to focus on hiring. There are times when you need to focus on profitability as an agency owner. I think... You know, hiring's an interesting one. I, for me, people hold on to hiring for too long, as is, you know, their role, their responsibility. And in fact, people hold on to a lot of things for too long. I quite quickly realized that, you know, how people say, I don't want to give this to someone else because I think I'll be able to do it better. I became like the opposite of it to the point where I think I'm, I'm probably too trusting in a lot of ways, but I have absolutely no problem with giving people really important things to do, like run the marketing piece or run the hiring or whatever, as soon as I see any kind of germ that they might be good enough. Because if you're needing everything to go through you, there's like a massive bottleneck. And it's in our clients, it's the one factor which I think probably limits growth the most is when they're not willing to just trust us to do our jobs properly. And it's the same inside their businesses, you know. If I'd have held on to having to say yes to every hire, we would never have grown. If I'd have held on to every marketing decision, we'd never have grown. And I think that's been key. Just like find good people and then just trust them. Like the thing that you'll realize is that you're not actually the perfect person. And I completely understand that I'm so massively flawed. I would rather, there's probably 80 people in Exposure Ninja who I would trust to make most of these decisions more than me. So why would I hold on to them? Why would I be the person to hire everyone? So we just brought in a recruitment person, a dedicated candidate finder, and she hunts people down as well. That sounded awful, but you know, she 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 does outbound to people who yes. want to bring on. And she's incredible. Like, who knew that you could be a hiring beast? So every time you hire someone to do something and you realize actually there's like a specialist savage person in this area, like why would I have anything to do with hiring? Like it's, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. What what qualifications do I have about hiring? Just because I'm like the guy who started the company, people just need to get out their own ways, to be honest, mm. and let their team actually work. Like p- people think, yeah, well, I need I need my staff to care as much as I do. Well, they're never going to care as much as you do because it's your baby, or whatever. But that doesn't mean they can't do an incredible job and even do a better job than you. Mm. Okay. And have you had you know? Because I've noticed there's a and what was the phrase I heard recently? You've got that balance between, you know, cash flow, profit margin, hiring, growth. But then there's also, as a part of that, the product market fit, where what you're selling has to, you know, have the margin and be valuable to the client at that pricing point. You know, that's like that sweet, mm. sweet spot for a growth company. Now you have, though you're a digital marketing agency, in some ways, like you were saying earlier, you kind of offer, you know, I don't know how many strands of products you could say, but even if I just thought of pay-per-click, SEO, you know, those are definitely two 
interrelated. Mm-hmm. Pay-per-click, SEO, and there's like different flavors. So we have Google ad packages, Facebook ad packages, LinkedIn packages. We have content marketing as a standalone service, then web development, ad hoc web development, landing pages, and social media. So those are all the different kind yeah. of departments we have. So if I go back in time, like it's easy for you to say now with 100 people working for you, I mean, maybe easy is not fair, but you know, <laughs> it's a machine you've built now that, that does what it's supposed to do. Building that machine is a real challenge with the cash flow, especially when you're offering so many different services. And you're, you're so right. If I had a coaching client come to me who said, I want to do all the things you do now, I would say, no, don't. You know, <laughs> yes. Do one of them and get good at it and use the cash flow to build a team to get it to run itself and then maybe do the next one. But it sounds like you were like, no, no, no. People will come to us and we'll, we'll do it all. We'll say yes to pay-per-click. We'll say yes to content. So how did you even deliver a valuable service when you're saying yes yeah, to yeah. all that? That's a good question. I mean, because we're always honest with people. So for example, social media might be an example of something that lots of people want. So people will come to us and they've always come to us saying, we want social, you know, we've got a best-selling book about social media. So people come saying, we want social media. Well, social media is rarely the right thing for any business that has a finite budget, right? There's more profitable uses of that of that spend, whether it's SEO or PPC or whatever. So because we're honest, we'll say, actually, no, you don't want social media. You need SEO or pay-per-click or whatever instead. So I think part of that is just being like really, really honest with people. But honestly, like profit margin and profitability have never really been major issues. It's not like we've always had like 40% net profit margin or anything like that at all. But because we've been good and because our clients sign up on like monthly we don't have contracts but everyone is like a monthly client if you like mm-hmm. it means that the cash flow of the business since that time when i had to fire everyone has always been positive and we've always been growing i think one key thing is that when we make a lot of money we haven't just i like i haven't just ripped it out of the business and gone and bought lamborghinis so yet that means that when times are tougher or we need to invest in growth. We have the cash and we have the confidence to do that. If we just have, you know, spent everything, it, like in the freelance days, like the first maybe two, two and a half years of the business, I didn't take out a penny, just like kept it like building up so that we could hire and we could build out the team. So we've been really conscious to invest in growth and it kind of build something which is, like you said, a machine knowing that that's going to give us the stability and you kind of need you need cash to do that really yeah so i love the fact that you have a subscription model around a service even though like you said you can cancel any time but obviously if if it's something that's working for people you know they'll keep going but still i'm mm-hmm. i'm still a little bit surprised cuz i know a lot of people who run marketing agencies with subscription based products and they really struggle to balance that growth phase or get clients, and which is kind of ironic if you run a digital marketing agency and you can't get clients. But you've obviously done a great job um, of, of hiring and building a great team, and that really helps. But since we only have sort of maybe 10 more minutes, Tim, I do have a few more questions that I know the audience will care about. You have basically been in the world of digital marketing for, you know, like it sounds like at least the last seven years. If you were sort of 2012, it really started to become your main thing. You've seen quite a, a explosion of different platforms, even just the services you listed that you guys offer, uh, LinkedIn, you, you know, social media, content marketing, pay-per-click on Google, on Facebook, on Snapchat, on you know, 
Pinterest, whatever, so many different platforms. How do you advise people? Like, um, maybe this is obviously maybe not your department anymore, <laughs> but mm-hmm. as an overview, when people think, you know, I want to get into growing my business using online marketing and they're fairly new to all this, it's clearly way too overwhelming now just to step into that cesspool of options that we have for marketing. <laughs> How do you, you know, guide someone, especially if they're not? from a digital marketing background to make the choice of where to spend a finite budget on marketing online? Okay, so I have two answers. The first answer is, it depends how much you need business right now. If you need business right now, like, and by now, like next three months, and you have to have some form of paid traffic, and you have to get in a position where you have a compelling offering which you can drive traffic to and you know that it's going to bring you customers profitably. That's like base one. Without, like, If you have that, if you can get customers profitably from one traffic source, then it means you can start cranking the handle and, and that'll give you the cash to, to succeed. The other answer to that is that is such a good question and it's such an important question. You mentioned the digital marketing agencies that can't get customers and that question are so closely related. It makes me so crazy when we get agencies asking us for help. They're like, we need more customers. I'm like, what the, how are you like, oh my God, don't even get me started. But what we do is we have on our website, our main call to action, our entire focus of the site is this free website and marketing review. We know that digital marketing is confusing. So anytime we come across anybody who is even thinking of digital marketing, even if they know that they want a particular service, we say, go and grab a free website and marketing review from ExposureNinja.com. And then when they request that, we record them a 15 to 20 minute video showing them where we would recommend focusing on improving their website for conversions, on how to get more organic traffic, PPC traffic, social traffic, whatever. And this video review is so killer because it shows them that we're completely different to anybody else. The information is so compelling that they often just straight away say, okay, this looks incredible. I know I don't have the time for this. Can you help me? But also we hear from many people that it's the first time they've ever had clarity about digital marketing and they've ever really understood it because they've had someone explain and show them on a video showing them on their website what they need to do to improve so that's probably well it's definitely one of the main reasons that we've been able to grow is that we've always had more leads than we can deal with because we've offered something so compelling on the front end this free website and marketing review which by the way it costs us a ton to do the amount of requests that we get and not everyone turns into a client so there is a significant investment there but it's such a good way of of getting customers and for our most successful clients we try to replicate that process. So what can we offer on your website, which is so compelling that a potential customer really has no choice but to request it? Because if we can do that, it makes all of your marketing more effective. It makes your paid ads, SEO, like even direct traffic and referral traffic, all of that. If we can get that conversion rate to like two, three, four, even six to 10%, we know that whatever we do, even if we're completely mediocre in every area, we know that you're going to be getting more leads than you were getting before. So I think that is, that's key. 
So I, and I want to be a bit direct with some of these questions because yep. I know be as direct as you like yeah, it's obviously, you know, go get a review, explosionninja.com forward slash review. I feel like I'm going to do that after this too, Tim, so for, <laughs> for my company inbox done. But I am curious what your thoughts are though. Like, okay, you answered one part. You said, if you need leads, pay traffic right now. Pay-per-click is the way to go. But like, as you know very well, to do paid traffic, there obviously has to be a place to send people that will convert, whether it's a landing page, a video, you know, or an yeah. entire website. So then there's that issue. And then people will go, well, I can't rely on pay-per-click forever because it's, it's a balancing act between paying money, finding new sources of audience. And I want some of this to start you know, becoming organic. So what do you suggest in terms of the, I guess it's like the life cycle of a marketing plan for any kind of business. Like we're all doing the same thing. We're all trying to get leads, customers from the web. Some of us spend our entire lives just on Facebook ads or Google ads. Some of us spend our entire time just doing articles to target long tail keywords and get uh, traffic from Google. And I've interviewed people who, you know, Everyone has their breakout method of audience. Me, it was blogging. You know, I wrote articles. I've done almost zero pay per click. And after 15 years, it's been entirely, you know, content based. So, what do you find is like the typical life cycle there? And what's the ideal situation you try to get people to with their marketing? Well, the least ideal situation is total reliance on one channel because. When I started Exposure Ninja, a lot of our, what we were doing was helping people recover from Panda and Penguin, which just completely decimated some businesses that relied on organic. So the thing that everybody wants to do, nobody wants to do pay-per-click because you're paying per click and it feels expensive and you're thinking, oh my gosh, look how much money Google's making from this. But we try to like get that out of people's heads. Like The only thing that matters about PPC is if you're making money on it, then you're going to keep doing it. So the next question people say is well how quickly can I turn it off and how quickly can organic traffic take over and the honest answer there is why would you even if like we've got clients and we've taken their organic sales from 6k a month to 2.2 million a month but even then if you can run PPC you should be running PPC at full tilt as well because you don't know when the next panda or penguin is coming. Last thing you want is to build up the structure, build up the organization and all the back end and everything with costs that work at 2.2 million a month only for Google to hit the site and you have no backup plan. You've got to start a pay-per-click campaign from scratch. So we'd always like to make sure that businesses are insulated by having at least two traffic channels, which they can turn up and turn down as they like. So what comes first, it really depends on on where the business is at. Like a lot of a lot of the time when we review a site, if they've got reasonable rankings already, like they're hitting bottom of page one or they're on page two, sometimes the quickest thing to help them is to just you know, repair some page stuff and get some more links to key pages and stuff like that and and see if we can move them onto page one. Whereas for other businesses, if they're starting from scratch, we'll try to get them some early momentum with SEO, but we'll rely mostly on paid traffic during the early days. And then whether it's Google or Facebook just depends on whether it's like an intent-based or it's an interruption-based sale. 
Okay, so we probably just lost half the people with the technical stuff there, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't apologize. It if is... you get the free website review, it's completely plain English. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, it's some great. It's great. You obviously know what you're talking about, Tim, and I think it's probably embedded within your company because you would have had to have known what to look for in your very first hires in order to start building a company. So I think we're just about out of time. Uh, ExposureNinja.com and forward slash review if you want the free review. I'm hoping the the musical career hasn't gone away completely, but it does sound like you're all in for Exposure Ninja for the the future. Is that is that true? Yeah, I mean, do you know what people say? Like, oh, I've just always been really passionate about this thing or whatever. I think, for my experience, you can become passionate at anything if you're good at it and you get enough wins. Like, it's the feeling of achievement for me that drives the passion. So if you're if you turn your passion into a job, that's like the quickest way to kill it. I think you could become passionate about running a, a paperclip manufacturing company if you became really good at it and if you got enough feedback from the world that this was a good thing to do. So I don't know. I can't see myself going back to music, to be honest. <laughs> the drums are upstairs gathering dust. Uh, and, and on that sad note, uh, Tim, are there any other uh, <laughs> websites you Follow want to... Follow your dreams, people. <laughs> yeah. Well, any other uh, sites you want to mention? Uh, clearly not your drumming site anymore. So. <laughs> One thing that we do, which is pretty cool, I've never seen it before, is if you go to analytics.exposureninja.com, so it's analytics is like analytics, but with an O instead of the first A, what we've built is this tool where you link it up with your Google Analytics account and you tell it your market, the industry that you're in, and the tool will basically give you baseline performance against others in your space. So it'll tell you like, how's your bounce rate compared to others in your market? What's your conversion rate like? How's your traffic? It's a super cool tool. We never really promote it, but it's it's absolutely killer. So that's analytics.exposioninja.com. Onalytics.exposioninja.com. Okay, we'll put the link obviously for this in the review along with the show notes. Tim, thank you. Good luck with the the plan to, to dominate the digital marketing space and go after every niche in the space. <laughs> We're coming for all of them. Thanks, Yaro. Been great fun, mate. <laughs> and uh, good luck and uh, keep up the great work. Cheers, buddy. Talk soon. I've been a person who very early on realized that email is a huge time suck. Like you probably are now, I used to deal with all my email myself. I think most people on the planet still do that. Their email inbox is something they see as their own. They have to deal with it. I learned that that inbox, my email inbox, is the biggest productivity killer time suck. Not to mention it goes completely against my goal for the laptop lifestyle. If I want the freedom to travel, to run my business anywhere, I can't be checking my email four or five, six times a day worrying about you know, customer complaints or new jobs coming in. And that's what I used to do until about 12 years ago, I hired my first ever inbox manager. And that was a person who became absolutely vital to not just my business, but my life. It significantly reduced my stress. Because I think like most people, you're, you're probably getting up early in the morning and handling your email then and possibly spending one or two or even three hours. Your entire morning can be wiped out. Just replying to messages doesn't move your life forward. It doesn't move your business forward. It's kind of like business work. Or maybe you're coming home at night to the big pile of emails and you've got potential customer queries, you've got clients who are asking for things. These are important messages and you end up losing 
your entire evening when you'd rather be relaxing, spending time with friends or family or even watching Netflix, you know, whatever it is you want to do. But you've got this big pile of email that you know is not going to get smaller unless you go and deal with it. You know, the next day there'll be more emails coming in and the next day there's more emails coming in. So for me, I made sure that once I got rid of it, I never had to deal with it again. So I've had either one or two or even three people handling my inbox specialists for over 12 years now. And I'm very excited to announce as a special sponsor of this podcast, I'd like to introduce you to InboxDone.com, which is a brand new service essentially offering what I'm talking about here, a dedicated email inbox manager that can become part of your team and really take over what is very likely the single biggest stress point time suck productivity killer in your business and your life, no matter what you're doing. So this person can do as much or as little as you like. They can potentially just come in and come up with some systems, some automatic replies, some templates, and they can just be there clearing your inbox, sorting things for you so you don't have to deal with it yourself. And you know, you don't have that scattered feeling when you look at your email or email can be taken off your plate completely. So your dedicated inbox manager will deal with every message that comes into your inbox and also set up some really intelligent systems for doing things that maybe you don't do right now or maybe you, you kind of do. For example, do you have some kind of process for following up with potential customers? So people who show interest at buying your products or services, maybe just email in a question. Do you have a intelligently designed process for chasing them up over a period of weeks with several emails? And you know, are you doing that yourself right now? Well, imagine you've got someone who handles that. It's scheduled. It's part of their job to make sure that goes out in a strategic way. The same goes for dealing with potential cancellations or refunds. So if you have a membership site now or payment plans, this person could come up with a, a system for strategically handling those kind of queries to, to reduce your cancellation and refund rate. These are just a couple of ways you can actually increase your profits or reduce your losses with a really tailored, dedicated inbox manager. And this is actually, in fact, what we have in my business uh, right now, my information product business with uh, my blog and my podcast and all my teaching products. So if all of this sounds interesting to you, if you'd like to learn more about the service, go to inboxdone.com and you can find an application form there to apply to get your own dedicated inbox manager as well. Just a word of warning though, because of the personalized nature of this service, they can only take on a few clients each month because you do get your own dedicated inbox manager. So that person is specially trained and that takes time. So they have a limit to the number of people they can take on board each month and really it goes to the best applicant. So do a great job applying. And obviously, if you're a great fit for the service, you will get your own dedicated inbox manager and email could be taken completely out of your life. And you'll be able to experience what I've experienced for a long time now, that sense of freedom, relaxation, the, the idea that you, you, know, you don't have to stress about this anymore. You don't have to worry about those emails sitting in your inbox. Not only that, you don't have to worry about whether you're doing a good enough job replying to those emails because you could be losing sales right now just because you're not chasing up in an intelligent way. So I encourage you to go check out inboxdone.com. I really recommend their services. Thanks for listening to Yarrow's podcast. For more episodes, visit yarrow.blog and subscribe on iTunes or Google.